friends, and welcome back once again to the Awning Owlbear. Again, I am sorry for the long hiatus. It'll probably be this way for a while. Um, due to being short of staff at work, I'm having to take extra hours to fill in the gaps. So more than likely, I'll be tired and just not up to making a new cast when I get home. Um, but if you're not, I'm not quitting on you guys, so bear with me during this time. Um, I've been also down with a nasty ear infection for the past week, uh, sore and honestly felt like I had a rock in it, but now feels normal again and I can finally hear out of it for once. And not a moment too soon because this past week was my birthday on the 13th, which as of now makes me 30. Yes, I'm officially old apparently. Um, now I just need to figure out what I'll put my skill points in. Uh, even though I had to work that day... It, I've been in good spirits for the past few days, and to kick up the mood even more, I have some messages from Lyron of Updates from the Middle of Nowhere, and Darren Green, Free Thrall of Keep Off the Borderlands, and Evil Jeff of Minions and Musings, and I will hand it off to them. Hey Mark, it's Lyran again from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I have to tell you, you're kicking my mothering instincts right in the teeth. I promise you that wherever your dad is, he knows that you love him. I, you know, it makes me so sad to hear that you think you were a terrible son to your dad. The thing is, no one is perfect. We're all humans. We all have flaws. Everyone has their stuff going on. And, you know, my kids, there will be days when they are just a hot mess. And I love them so much. You just love them. And you know what? Becoming an adult and realizing that, you know, you were selfish as a child or that you weren't considerate of your parents as a child, yeah, that's because that's not how children are. I mean, it's really hard to grow up, and I think it's getting harder as time progresses. I know I wouldn't want to be your age again. Anyway, I just had to drop you a line and say, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, okay? Because... I know that I know my kids love me when they're having their worst day and they're mean to me because they can be because they know I'm going to love them on the other side of it. And I'm pretty sure your dad knew that you loved him too. And you know what? I'm pretty sure he still does wherever he is. So anyway, have a good one. Hey, Mark, Laren again. You know, uh, it's funny you talked about spreading out and figuring out which edition you like. The con I was at was actually all of the games I was playing were indie games, so they were all different types of games in all different systems, which was really cool. Three Nights, it was Index Card RPG, the Blood and Snow edition, which I'm going to review on my podcast sometime soon. I just haven't gotten to it yet. But, um, I, so that was really interesting to see people running all different styles of games and, you know, some with pretty strict rules and rails and some that were just really a wide open playground. So anyways, uh, I don't know if you have played many indie games, if at all, but they're pretty cool too. Hi, Arvid here. Um, just listen to your episode eight and, um, don't take this the wrong way. Um, hopefully you can take this as a positive message, but I think you're putting too much time and effort into um, reading, watching, listening to what all these professional DMs or whatever they're calling themselves are. Um, I think you should try and cut yourself away from that. Um, 
you've had a little bit of a rant about it hopefully that's cleared it from your system um if you see it just don't watch it don't engage with it um concentrate on the good things the anchor um the online community try and look to the more positive things uh you're going through a lot in your life so all i can say is yeah engage with the people that you enjoy engaging with keep away from the stuff that's just going to frustrate you and annoy you just to continue with what i was saying um yeah i think if you engage with the the anchor rights um get online if you can get onto some online gaming maybe uh, especially at the weekends there's gaming out there i think it'll just um give you more useful information on how people are gming in the real world um hopefully it'll get you in a better place um improve your dming skills you've got players at your table if they're enjoying it and you're playing that's all that matters uh if you're not the best dm no one's the best dm um i strive to get better everybody does as long as people are having fun you're enjoying it you're enjoying creating the content that's the main thing so um keep positive uh keep trying listen to the people that are giving you useful tips and and gaming from the real world cheers Hey Mark, it's Spencer here from Keep Off the Borderlands. Um, I just, uh, first of all, I want to uh, say sorry. Uh, you've been having such a tough time recently, man, and uh, it's uh, yeah. I don't, I can't, I can't really talk about what you've been going through. I've not really experienced that myself yet, but um, just the way you were speaking with passion about the whole No More Nerds article. I mean, I felt you really nailed it. And, uh, you know, just just really um, enjoyed hearing you talk about it. Um, love the show. Keep the episodes coming. Take care. Hey, Mark. It's Evil Jeff. Catching back up on your podcast and uh, listen to your last two ecologies there. Appreciate the cave fisher, the timing of that, because I just spoke about caves in a couple of my last episodes, and definitely could see where that could really happen. In fact, sometimes uh, in some the cave that I was in, you know, you could reach up and touch the ceiling. I can just imagine having a small ledge right on the other side as you come through uh, a low spot. A ledge right above that as it opens back up into the cavern and the cave fisher right there snatching you up. And another thing I want to talk about brain moles real quick, so let me uh, jackson this. As for the brain mole, while you posited that they might be from the fairy wild, I would suggest something else. Let's go deep underground to where the ithlids are and the intellect devourers maybe down that area. What if it's a side effect of living near those communities? Maybe those communities have been up closer to the surface here and there. Um, you, you never know, but that, that is another thing there. We've already got denizens of the deep that have sort of those abilities. So why not let it rub off on a creature? You know, just like radiation or something. Yeah, Feywild probably is along those lines, but you know, maybe there's an intersection in there that could have happened as well. First, Alirin, thank you for the encouragement, and I'm happy that a parent is giving me insight on this. Um, truthfully, 
I loved my dad, even though we had our moments. Um, deep down, I did love him, and there were times, honestly, I just couldn't stand being around him. Uh, I've come to accept what has happened, and I hope when my day comes, I'll get to see him again. Which, yes, I do believe that when you die, it doesn't end there, but what happens next, I guess we can all speculate on what happens. Um, the part that eats at me is not knowing whether he loved me after the arguments or not. I hope he did, and in my gut, I feel like he did. I mean, he never really forced kicked me out, or I never said no when I needed something. So... I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, For my mom, though, this is something that she still struggles to forgive and believe and let go. Honestly, it's not healthy on her mind, though. I've noticed in the past few weeks she's been having a tougher time remembering things, including my birthday, which after I explained it to her, she started crying, and honestly, I hate seeing her sad. I do what I can to comfort her, and I know she's happy for the most part, and I dread the one day that I will get up for work in the morning and just to find her gone in her sleep. I pray, or at least I used to pray often, that she will still be here for a while longer. Sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to a wall. Um, it's strange the week before Dad died, though, he did say he prayed to go first and let me and Mom stay. And since then, it's puzzled me and makes me wonder that there's more than what is to believe to be real. Uh, but anyway, putting the negativity aside, yes, I have seen many things in the Indian game market that looks good. After looking at the Index Card RPG, it's something I'd like to get my hands on. I've got tons of bookmarks on both my laptop and my phone on different systems I'd love to try, though I doubt I'll ever get to them or get my players to be interested in playing. In particular, I've always wanted to try a Call of Cthulhu game or run it, though I've never played. Rules seem simple enough, being it's primarily a skill-based system. Perhaps one of these nights I'll run a one-shot. Another one was the 2D20 system of Robert E. Howard's Conan, which has some weaknesses and strengths, but looks fun. More in part, though, recently, since I've been playing Conan Exiles again, and that's been eat up pretty much most of my time after work. Next is Darren Green. Yes, you're right. I really shouldn't compare myself to other players or DMs. But to me, I want to play the way I want to play and take my time the way I feel comfortable. If my current players are happy, which they are as of now, I'm good with what I've done. Granted, I have some spots to polish, but I've gotten somewhat better since then. And overall, yes, one shouldn't focus on what's done by others, but how you tackle your own style of play. And again, thanks for the critical kick of the butt, Darren. It's well appreciated. Uh, Next to Thrall, yes, it's something I don't wish anyone should have to endure, losing a loved one, and yes, all of us meet the same end one day. Um, Also, I'm pleased you agree with my thoughts on the current treatment of the hobby. Truthfully, every day you look in the news or whatever you peruse, and you see a lot of opinion that this is a hobby that belongs to a select few, apparently now, when it was meant to be played and have fun by all nerds and non-nerds alike. I think that's what a lot of people tend to forget what D&D was supposed to be. It means to have fun. At least that's what Gygax was trying to show since day one. Not to be known as a creator, but just a guy who loved playing games, and the same was with Arneson. These hobbies are what got us out of the dark spaces that kept us in the bunk and helped us make friends. I've still got friends I keep in touch with who've been playing this for years. 
even though groups break up, it's a common ground we come to agree on and have fun. When a hobby ends up in the hands of individuals who care more for money than creativity and entertainment, it then becomes a meaningless and shallow or soulless product at that point. And yes, it's a means of making a living, but neither did the creators make that main focus either. Take the video game industry. A lot of these former top-tier developers are now feeling the crunch. Much uh, Pretty much their own fall at this point. Losing long-time players because they either changed the product that no longer kept the feel or did not progress at all to bring more people to the hobby. Or worse yet, they alienated and insulted their fans who supported them because they didn't care for the sales made, feeling that they should have been more entitled to more money or displeased that the general majority don't support a political or theological idea. The list goes on. These guys actually get on stage or in front of a camera and trash talk customers, longtime customers who only make suggestions, not demands. Just keep it for fun, keep it for the players and those who support it. If you can make something innovative and fun, you'll make business as well. And a long time following after that. Stop making it into a quick cash grab and keep the heart in what it's meant to be. That's all most players even ask for these days. This still irks me to this day now that I think about it. After seeing probably one of the most obvious portrayals of PC culture and diversity pushing with Paizo of late. Their latest announcement for a live stream play, when you see their article in the promotion photo, it pretty much made me cringe. Not going to get into that as I don't want to get into a triggered fit or discussion, but Paizo is really on my chopping block, say the least, of late. Their latest system, though, looks good, and having played the playtest myself, the company itself, however, is getting too political, and it's now catering to the feels of select groups because there is a social norm they think is not represented enough, or you're not playing their game like they want it to be played. Hey, it's our game. We will play it the way we want to play it. You can enjoy what is given, and if you don't like it, play somewhere else. Don't know if I'll buy the new Pathfinder 2.0 books. Honestly, I'll probably get the PDFs from select sources for free and then give Paizo another dime. I have my ways of finding my sources. Anyway, getting off that rant, uh, last Evil Jeff, I am glad you are enjoying the ecology so far. Yes, I would have want to face a fisher, let alone multiple of them in a dark cavern. I envy those who see in the dark, one of many moments I wish I truly was a dwarf. As for the brain mold, that's a very astute observation, honestly, that I never would have thought of. And I'm sad to say that it actually skipped my mind. Yes, the mind flayers have been notorious for performing experiments on other beings from both the Underdark and on the surface. So yes, this would definitely fit the flayers' M.O. And being... An experiment that has escaped and thrived in the wild as before. I would say it's all up to DM's interpretation and plans for their games. And honestly, that's the beauty of D&D, right? You can shape your world to however you wish. And thank you. This has actually been food for thought. I will use this in the near future. Uh, currently, aside from this, um, I am working on a review episode for the Blue Home system. Uh, just my thoughts on my second OSR system, a clone of Eric Holmes' revised version of the original D&D. Uh, that'll be some time, though, as I go through each chapter, giving the loadout of my opinions. Um, as for my current game, it's still going strong. Didn't get really to play today. Um, had to do with something with some folks. Um, not much new in development, other than some swarm encounters, mainly spiders, and some sturges. 
Uh, which honestly, the Sturge fight went as well as I thought it would, which was rather quick. I actually had high hopes for this, but didn't really deliver what I thought it would. Um, thing is, being creatures with at most one hit die, one good hit is all that's needed to deal with them. If they can latch on, it provides comedy gold watching allies try to get the bugger off, force rolling 50-50 on hitting either the player or the Sturge. Uh, while each additional round, the Sturge sucks blood at the same time, and it's a huge save to get those off. For a small creature that's that's weak physically, it's a classic speed bump. I will say, searching every single, and I do mean every single, fireplace seems to be the norm. It's like the primary objective of my fighter mage, even when they come upon one that isn't scripted with anything. Normally, I'll randomize something with a generator within reason. Um, DMs, keep in mind, players will search everything, and I do mean everything, if they find just the first bit that has treasure in it. Anyways, on to the meat and potatoes. As requested, I present to you what I believe is my first aberration on this cast, the Grick. Eight feet long, 200 pounds of rubbery thick hide, and four tentacles spread outward like a four-petal flower, each tipped with razor-sharp talons and a beak like a bolt cutter in the center. By first glance, it looks like a mad science experiment crossing a worm's body with the upper half of a squid. This beast is a personal favorite of mine, one that I've used several times in previous games, having a resistance to non-magical weapons. Uh, it can gain a chance for a grapple with each tentacle attack, at least that's what I do with mine. And has always given me both simple and satisfying results, especially with its defense early on. Now some history. The Grick's first appearance was in the 3rd edition Monster Manual in 2000, and then again for the 3.5 revision in 2003. Later, 4th edition in 2008 introduced the Alpha Grick, which I tried looking up stats for this, and the only place I could find it was 4th edition. There are some homebrew versions of the Alpha Grick, but honestly, every site that I went through gave me a 404 error code, so I could not find any information on it. But if anybody has any actual stats for the Alpha Grick, please, if you would, forward that to me. Anyway, uh, Final Edition was with 5th edition and 2014's Monster Manual, which is the current stats to today. And there have been other more stronger versions of this since then, but I'll be focusing on the three original, the Alpha and the Jungle Grick from Pathfinder. Uh, there is very little in the way of ecology information for this, as in there is no info I have found from a Dragon magazine, but I will fill you in on what I've found so far. The Grick is an ambush predator found commonly in mountains and rocky crags, but mostly underground. It will also scavenge dead carrion, making it a high occurrence in places rich with dying and decayed bodies. The Grick's body is roughly 8 feet long and worm-like, tough like a truck tire, and colored based on its terrain. It uses its color to blend into its surroundings, and can vary on locations such as dark green or mottled green for the jungle variant, but is usually a dark stone gray or navy blue, all of which give it advantage in a rock background using stealth. The Grick, which is carnivorous, prefers to hunt in areas abundant in food, and is able to sense this through pheromone communication with others of its species. Because of this, the span of territory the Grick hunts continues to change. It is not known how far they will travel from feeding ground to feeding ground, but have been found on the surface quite frequently. Gricks are not a pack-based creature, preferring to dwell in areas alone and only coming together during mating, which is initiated by alphas who are much bigger than a regular Grick by an extra two or three feet. 
The Grick is not a highly intelligent creature, but has a basic animal nature of fight or flight for survival. As long as it can subdue its prey easily, being that the talons and beak, which it's being sharp and perfectly capable of taking down a grown human easily, are not the most durable because of this, the Grick prefers to ambush and subdue. The Grick will attempt to grab hold and drag its victim to its den, where it can feed easily in a confined space. This is also why Gricks are usually encountered in small spaces such as pantries and dungeons or small hallways. And honestly, now that I think of it, any module that I've played or read, this seems to be the obvious norm. Uh, victims that are able to fight back depending on severity, the Grick will usually give up the pursuit and flee, preferring weaker prey, but most DMs, including myself, tend to overlook the reality of animals in the wild and continue to fight to the death. Which, in my opinion, screw or logic, we'd be hatching it out, folks, for the experience. Uh, normal weaponry does not do much to a Grick as their hide is able to shrug off most blows from non-magical weapons, taking half or a DR amount off so magic is key when dealing with a Grick. So fighters, keep those mages safe or keep that plus one or better close to the hip. As before, Gricks communicate by scent, and this plays a huge part not just in hunting, but also identifying areas that are unsafe or mating. Gricks that are near death or are killed emit a pheromone signature that acts as a warning beacon to other Gricks who will quickly vacate from the area. The quickest way to keep Gricks out of your camp and out of your hair is to find one Kill it and let its body rot nearby as long as you can deal with the smell. Now, for most creatures, mating season is usually done at certain times of the year. It is an instinct triggered in most animals by hormones and the environment around them. For the Grick, it works in a similar way, but has to be initiated by an alpha Grick. When this happens, <clears throat> it is done through through a pheromone signature done randomly by an alpha and will emit pheromones to trigger a mating frenzy in all Gricks within the area. Now, if you may recall the words of the distinguished Dr. Ian Malcolm in his rebuttal to Dr. Henry Wu, life finds a way. And for the Grick, this is no different. For the Grick has both male and female sexual organs. So all that's needed is two of the species to be in close proximity to mate. Each Grick will latch end to end and exchange DNA separates and then move off to a secluded area to gestate internally for seven to ten weeks. When ready, the Grick produces a large, green, slime-covered, membranous sac containing four to ten softball-sized eggs. The temperature of the area depicts when the eggs hatch and can lay dormant, protected by the membrane for months, perhaps longer. When hatched, the offspring are around a foot long and become juvenile at five feet long. Within a year, they become full-size adults if they survive. And with that, let's look at the stats for the Grick. As for the Alpha, other than 4E, which I'll not cover here, it doesn't seem to be any stats. Um, again, if anybody has those stats and can forward those to me, uh, let me know. Um, the way I would go about tweaking this is to use the many templates that Pathfinder provides, specifically the Advanced Monster Template, which increases strength and health along with ACA. Again, as a DM, your creativity will go far with this creature. Uh, first, we will look at the 3rd edition stats and then the 5th edition stats, also with 3E. I'll see how they differ with Pathfinder's version, which the only huge difference I noticed was that the hit die for the Grick is at a whopping 5D8 compared to the 2D8 3E has. And with that, let's get to it. <clears throat> so looking through here, the Grick is a medium aberration at 8 feet long, 200 pounds. It's said that they can rear up to the same height as a human. 
It is considered a challenge rating 3 encounter, so it will work well as an early minor boss, even more so with their DR 10 versus non-magical weaponry. It has a plus 2 initiative with 14 dexterity, so slightly faster than the average human. AC is right around 15 to 16, so near almost leather to medium base type of armor. Again, this creature's main defense is a resistance to non-magic weapons, so it's a tough ombre. Speed is 30 feet on the ground and has a 20-foot climb speed to a relatively mobile in its environment. For sense, it can see in the dark out to 60 feet and has advantages to locate something by scent. As before, this thing communicates through smell of its kind and can locate corpses for potential meals. For its attacks, it has four tentacle attacks that deal 1d4, plus 2, or plus 1, depending which edition you're using. Each hitting on a plus 3 to add to that, I'd go further to say it also has grapple if either half of the total tentacles hit or all of them hit. That's up to you. Uh, secondary attack is a beak, which to hit is rather slack at a negative 1 to negative 2 and deals a meager 1d3 or 1d4 plus 1 or no modifier at all in damage. So, 3rd edition, not much of a damage dealer, but if your group has issues hitting it at all, it'll take us time to whittle them down. <clears throat> Saves are weak in 3rd edition at 0, 2, and 5 for Fort, Reflex, and Will, but Pathfinder gives it a slight boost at 2, 3, and 6. Overall, not very high in physical resistance, but shows a slight challenge for casters with its Will saves being magic. Is its Achilles heel? Yes, but this may help to cope with its weakness, uh, depending on what type of magical spell you're actually using against it. And let's check those ability scores. Uh, for strength here, it says 12 to 14, slightly stronger than the human, just slightly. Uh, third edition seems to be stronger in this ability, but again, even if it initiates a grapple in ecology, it won't continue a fight if the victim fights back. And with its poor physical saves, this obviously is evident. Uh, dexterity is 14, again, slightly faster than the human. Constitution is 12 to 13, so has some beef to it, but should be susceptible easily to disease or poisons, especially with its saves. Intelligence is a basic 3, which is animal with a 14 wisdom, so it's capable to think for survival and avoid basic situations that are dangerous. Charisma is 5, but it's a Grick. Anyone who looks at this thing isn't going to try to talk with it, and it is going to do the same back. It only cares for food and survival. For special kill skills, excuse me, skills, it has a climb of 9 to 10, so it is highly capable to reach high areas and quickly. has a stealth of 3, but gains an extra 8 points for its high to blend in with terrain, which is rock or similar material, for a whopping 13 to 14. An excellent ambush predator under the right circumstances. Has a perception of 12, so is more... Eh, more than likely going to notice the group probably well before they notice it, but then again, I've seen players pull off perception checks that... Like, like God, like the Eye of Sauron. It's, it baffles me at some roles I've seen players get away with. Uh... Let's see. Honestly, I'm not going to worry about feats as both editions. Honestly, I've seen them interchangeable. Um, one unique and odd tidbit with this creature, it can understand Aklo but can't speak it, which is an old language spoken by ancient beings such as the Aboleth. Uh, screw those guys, right? Environment is found underground but can be found above on the surface in mountainous or crag-like areas. And the jungle variant is found in, well, jungles. And I even say dense forests. 
Only difference is jungle variants tend to attack from the ground and trees more often than actual rock. So there's that. That's really the only difference with the jungle variant. A uh, group is solitary or a cluster of up to four to five individuals, but this is loner-based predator unless they come together to mate. Alignment is neutral. It's a creature of instinct, not malevolence. And also, third edition advancement states, a medium grick is base is three to four hit die, and larger cousins are five to six hit die. So this would fit for an alpha or better yet, I would say 3rd E would work well as a basic size Grick with Pathfinder's version at, at most a large alpha. Though I would change the strength in COD mods a little higher by 2 or 4 to reflect this change. Again, there's always the templates, which Pathfinder has a ton of those. And I've used those to very helpful effectiveness. Uh, now, let's wrap it up with the 5th edition stats. It is medium neutral, monstrosity this time, so not regarded as an aberration. I wonder why that was. Armor class of 14, so slightly lower, but still has resistance to non-magic weapons, taking half instead of negating 10 points. Hit dice is a huge 68, and average 27 to max 48 hit points, so it can be a beast early for players. Speed is 30 feet on the ground, and 30 feet climbing speed this time, so a lot quicker than its third E counterparts. Strength 14, much stronger now. Dex the same at 14. Khan is at a very lax 11. Not so much in the way of physical resistance seeing this. I would strategize as a player, instead of raw damage, try to apply some status effects such as disease or poisons to slow it down. Um, but like I said, if you have magical ordinance, send it flying. Intelligence, wisdom, and charisma stay the same, so no change from before. Same sense as before, but loses the bonus of sense to track for smell. I would add this back. Uh, passive perception is 12, but is base and is not a rolled bonus to add to your total now. Honestly, I don't ever use passive perception. Honestly, if you want to see something in my game, you roll for it. Uh, the CR has been lowered to a CR2. Now at 450 experience. Still, it's a potent early throw at the players. Again, tweaking may be necessary to make it more memorable fight. Has stony camouflage as an ability to take advantage to stealth and rocky terrain, same as has been able to do since day one. Now the tentacle attack is now accumulative in one full attack instead of four uh, separate attacks. Uh, except this time if it hits, it makes an additional hit with its beak. I still try for a grapple, either automatic or roll for confirmation. Tentacles deal 2d6 plus 2 and beak deals 1d6 plus 2 both on a hit of plus four bonus for either, so more sharpness for this bad boy. Well, folks, that pretty much sums up the Grick in a nutshell. A great early mini-boss to teach new players. Wish they had more ecology on this. Um, it's also great for dealing with showing players how to deal with creatures by magical means, and as a player, I'd also surmise using physical ailments against it. If you don't have magical usage in your group, being that it has poor health saves, yet it's a very fun and well worth encounter, one that remains a must in any game, especially with mine, um, and with some thought can be made more fierce for higher level players. And with that, it's 2.01 in the morning here, and I need to get to bed and sleep to owlbear sleep. So with that, my listeners, again, thank you all so much for sticking with a noob like me and dealing with my poor skills. And to those who have given me guidance, I am thankful and grateful. 
I love you all and hope your games stay fun and your dice always roll true. As always, folks, keep the mugs full and keep the stories coming.